0: Trails Collective. Welcome to Voices from the Collective, a podcast coming to you from the mouth of the East Coast in upstate New York. I'm your host, Ellie Pell. Have you ever found yourself going down the rabbit hole about a runner who, did, who just did something really cool in Europe and then find out, goddamn, that human is a beast coaster? Well, that's exactly what happened to me reading about Jack Kenzel's recent FKT on the Bob Graham round. It was a bit hard to miss this accomplishment, not only because he was shirtless, but because it was publicized both in our niche sport and the major newspaper outlets in the UK and papers just around the world. So I kind of just got it sent to me in about a billion different forms. And of course, like I love to read. So going down that rabbit hole, I had to read every piece of material sent my way. I wanted to get Jack on the show, not only to discuss FKTs and the Bob Graham, but also to hear more about his perspective on the sport, professionalism, training in the Navy, the future of FKTs, and much, much more. Jack did not disappoint. He never misses a beat, and I loved talking to him. And good news for me, he's coming back back stateside pretty soon, so hopefully we can get in some runs up here. This episode is definitely worth a listen, or two. This episode is brought to you in part by Gnarly Nutrition. I really cannot say enough about the quality products coming out of this small Salt Lake City company. I stir protein powder into my daily morning oats, yogurt, and even a bowl of cornflakes because it's both delicious and packs the nutrition I need to get back into racing shape. I definitely love the whole food approach and try to get what I need from f- all the foods. But in this day and age, I want some extra insurance that I'm getting both enough calories and energy my body can use efficiently. I want you to try it too, so use the code TRAILS COLLECTIVE. That's one word for 10% off. Use my referral link in the show notes. All right, without further ado and without further gaffes on my speech today, Let's get into this show with Jack Kenzel and the Bob Graham Round FKT. kenzel welcome to the the trails collective podcast uh congratulations i must start out with that on your recent fkt on the bob graham round
1: hey yeah thank you so much thank you how are you feeling since then
0: have you ran at all
1: uh yeah i um i ran a bit that week i actually paced another guy on on his one of my pacers actually did bob the following weekend i paced him on on last saturday but uh, I found that like, it's, it's the mental thing. I think the most, like I can go out and I, if I run in the fells, I just absolutely hate it. Like I, I cannot take it, but like, I just did like two hours on the treadmill and then like the gym closed and I ran like an hour in the dark and it was great. Like, as long as I can't like look around and see the Bob Grand round or see like mountains in the UK, it's like totally wonderful. But other than that, I just, I just hate it. So
0: <laughs> I, I love that you said that because, um, I think that there's, uh, a real like value in being able to like switch distances and surfaces and just give yourself a break from what you've been doing for so long. Um, so it's cool that you're kind of embracing just, uh, you know, still running, still doing what you love to do, but, uh, putting in some treadmill miles, you know, and, yeah, and, uh, you don't want to see the beauty. That's really an interesting perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just I, I used to spend a lot of I do spend a lot of time on the treadmill. I do I do really kind of enjoy it. Uh and it's just I think I just poured so much into like figuring out the Bob and just like every time I went out just trying to figure out lines and I just got I just got sick of it. So yeah, yeah. But
0: Well, we're gonna talk about the Bob Graham round in a little bit, but I wanna start uh sort of at the beginning because um I I want to sort of introduce my listeners to you and like, uh, just who you are and why we're having this conversation besides the Bob Graham round. Um, people might know who, I mean, probably with the press that the FKT got people know who your name is now, but, um, let's take it back, I guess a little bit. So where are you from and, um, when did you start running?
1: Uh, I'm from Roxbury, Connecticut. So a small town in Southern Litchfield County in Northwest Connecticut. And, I ran I ran some growing up, not a, not a ton. My my dad ran, I ran cross country and track in high school, but never really was very good. Uh, and then did a marathon in college, but wasn't super into it. I probably ran like 30, 40 miles a week, maybe at max in college. Like I was like training a lot for going into the military. I, I used to weight lift a lot and then uh, went to the military. And after I kind of finished my military training, I, I did an ultra in 2018 I thought it was I thought it was okay, fifty uh, miler, and then I started doing some more just like walk ups of peaks like in Southern California, and I really really came to enjoy that. Uh, 2019, I did a handful of I did I think I did five ultras out to the 100k distance, and I I enjoyed it. I thought it was I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, 20 and then since I haven't done a race since December of 2019. December of 2019, I did Hellgate, and I think Hellgate may have forever ruined racing for me. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if your listeners know Hellgate. Uh, in oh, we know Hellgate. Yeah,
0: Yeah, we've had David Horton on the show. Rachel is one of my friends. She's like loved that race. Uh, my mentor Ian is trying to convince me to do it. I'm like, no, (laughs) that sounds awful. Um, so you did run cross country and track though in school, and then um, you went to the army. So, what talk about that experience? Why did you decide to do that?
1: Yeah. So I, I was, I was in the Navy. Uh, my my dad was in the Marine Corps. And so I think it was always just kind of in my mind that I was just gonna kind of, I was going to do it. I, I don't really remember ever really thinking all that much about whether I wanted to. Uh, and yeah, I mean, my parents are like, I mean, my family's like solidly probably upper middle class, but uh, I mean, I think it would have, I would have had to, it would have been, it would have been challenging to like pay for college because like both my sisters were in, were in private high school. And so, uh i mean Rozi just provided the convenient opportunity and way to pay for college and so i i did that and i think by the time i was a senior in college i like didn't really want to go into the military but at that point you know you're already kind of locked in so yeah i i i did that and uh i think it you know part of me doesn't want to give it too much credit <laughs> but uh i think like i mean i i think i do owe like a good high percentage of like my my success running to that especially like with the fkts and just like you know in the military they like really are into like attention to detail and that's like the way to like really like master a route and also just kind of like the idea of just using like being creative and kind of like approaching a route creatively and trying to like maximize every opportunity you have to shave speed whether that's like hey i'm gonna like optimize the lines i'm gonna take i'm gonna optimize like my crew and how I utilize them. I'm going to like optimize exactly what, what gear and what nutrition I take. I'm going to like optimize my training, you know, maximize like things like heat training. And I think I wouldn't be doing that. Uh, if I, if I hadn't been in the military, I think so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I got out last October. Um, yeah. So
0: what do you think you would have done instead if you hadn't gone into the, the Navy? Did you ever think
1: about that? uh i don't i don't know um i did i mean since my dad was a uh, pilot for delta airlines and so i did travel a lot growing up so maybe would have i think i always had a i used to have an interest in going into like intelligence uh you know some sort of like foreign service thing you know maybe like working for an ngo overseas uh probably would have gone into something like that but i I have no idea i wonder that all the time
0: (laughs) What did you study in college? Uh,
1: Middle Eastern studies.
0: Oh, okay. So, well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's actually pretty, probably was pretty good for, for the army. So in the Navy, like, I don't know too much about, um, how the military works outside of just a layman's perspective and, um, and reading like lo- like the, that Marcus Luttrell book about the seals and stuff like that, like things people know. So what was your daily experience like in the Navy?
1: i mean it was it was kind of all over the place like just depending on on what we happened to be doing at the time uh of that time so of the time i was in i was deployed for about uh 10 months of that maybe and beyond that i was never in combat beyond that you know it's a lot it's a lot of training you're just we would travel all over the country and and train at a bunch of different sites. Uh, you know you're you're training you know skydiving and like you're you know building clearance and like land warfare like fighting in you know fields or mountains or uh you know you're training different like diving and you know water operations so tra- you're you're kind of traveling all over uh and then at the end of my time I was just in a office job uh basically so uh that was <laughs> that was it was like hey like if you want to get out of the navy like this is this is what you do and uh mm-hmm. uh so I was it was basically like hey somebody would you know somebody would be like visiting base like a congressman or or something or like some senior you know member of like naval leadership and I would have to like you know set up the conference room and like uh make sure like you know powerpoints are like built properly and they all had like the right font and grammar and I mean not exactly what I signed up for, but uh, it was a, it was a, probably a job that I was, I was, I was okay at. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, no. I mean, it, very variable stuff. So, I mean, I was, I was from a running perspective. I was lucky at the end to have like a very non-physically taxing job because there were times where I was, I was trying to train for running and it was just, it was just so incredibly challenging. Just because the job would be so physically taxing and then running on top of that. Mm -hmm. uh, would just, it would just be very tricky. So,
0: you know, you describing traveling all over to train, like if you didn't say you were doing that for the army, you could be saying that you're doing that for like running. Um, it's the reason that you moved to the UK kind of to focus on the Bob Graham round.
1: Yeah. So what, what happened was is originally I was going to go out to Colorado and I was considering doing like a, I was going to go to hard rock and then I was going to do like a FKT style run of like the hard rock course with like hard rock rules. Uh, But I just became very worried about the smoke. Like I did the whites hundred in mid June and I was just like doing the math and I was like, okay, I probably don't want to race before mid August. And that's like, I was looking at historic smoke data and I was like, uh, I really should do this project just earlier in the summer, you know, in the future versus like pushing it to like the height of fire season and it and it turned out I think Colorado had a very like wet spring and summer so it was a, it was a good year to go out there and so I kind of kind of blew it from that perspective but uh yeah so I mean my original goal like I just didn't have any data points with Killian or with like anybody on the UK scene and so I saw you know in in the United Kingdom there are three countries Wales Scotland and England and there is a, like, has become, like, a national, like, round in each one of them. So it's just, like, a 24-hour peak bagging challenge, essentially. And they're all, they all are loops. They all are 100 kilometers, roughly, usually a little bit more. And they're all about, like, 27,000 feet of climbing. And so the Ramsey round in Scotland, because it's, like, the most, it's the highest, uh, the peaks are the biggest. I mean, that was kind of the one that just appealed to me. So originally that was kind of the goal and the Bob was just kind of like, I think I whispered to like Andrew Drummond, uh, up in New Hampshire. I think I like whispered to him before I leave, like, Oh, maybe if the Ramsey goes well, maybe I'll like, look at the Bob Graham round, but it was just, it was just so crazy. That would even come out of my mouth So that. Like, you know, cause Killian had it. Uh, so it wasn't really anything I was actually considering. And then I raced, didn't end up doing the Ramsey. I did like the shorter route that the Ramsey was based around. That's like leagues more aesthetic and like way better uh and i did that and i beat finley wilds time who's probably the best uk fell runner and finley had been seven minutes off of killian's bob time so i was thinking hey if i beat finley by 12 minutes or by 14 minutes on the tranter he was seven minutes off killian's bob you know just by that math alone i was like okay maybe i could do it so
0: Ultra math is probably my favorite kind of math <laughs> because, <laughs> like, you know, I, you, have you ever seen those like um, marathon and half marathon pace calculators? Like, oh, if you ran ninety minutes for yes. a half marathon, you'll be able to run like three ten for the marathon or whatever. Yes. And they're yeah, never yeah. really that right, you know, because. Yeah. Um. And so it's really interesting, though, like just hearing you talk about that, and also hearing about your um. Uh, experience in the Navy and just being very like logistically and precision based like it makes sense that you would be like oh well seven minutes and here and then uh Killian's right. so like if you put all the ducks in a row I should be able to break this you know but I mean, it's just so long and there's just so many different things that can happen that like ultra math is even more crazy than like the marathon and half math, because it's like, you know, you like, there's so much more mental game. There's a lot more, it's longer. So there's more things that could go wrong. Um, so how, like, how do you plan for those kind of things when you're thinking about these FKTs that are so long?
1: Yeah. So so not to go down to the weeds on this topic, but but you you did bring it up. Of course. <laughs> uh, let's go
0: to the weeds. Let's go. Let's go to the
1: weeds. The weeds. So um, yeah. So the real math I did was, so Finley knows the tranter very well. It's like right in his backyard. So I figured his tranter would be a better effort than his Bob because he did not scout the Bob course as much. Uh, on top of that, I felt like I looked at Finley's times for the shorter stuff and I felt like I had, you know, Finley traditionally races the shorter stuff. He trains less volume. You know, I beat him on the Tranter, but I was looking at some of his shorter stuff and I felt like his shorter stuff was faster. So my kind of thought was like, okay, as I go longer, I'm probably going to be better than Finley the longer it goes, just because I do more volume and the US scene is like so ultra focused and the UK scene is so like sub marathon focused. And then I also knew I would know the Lake District better than he would. Uh, And then the other thing was, like, okay, I'm going to get a day with better conditions, than he did. So I actually just talked to someone about this the other day. Someone was like, okay, did you think you were going to break it? And, and like, if I was 100% confident and could remove all of the, you know, Killian, uh, like, mind games that I had going on in my head, yeah, I mean, I thought, like, okay – probably could do like a 1235 or something just off of Finley's time. Uh, but I mean, it wasn't like I was, I was confident going into it. Like, I mean, the days prior, I probably got, I got three hours of sleep. I think the night before, I think I got five hours of sleep the two nights before that. And like, I usually try to sleep like nine hours a night. Like that was not, that was not pleasant. I remember the night before just like getting up in the middle of the night and just, I had, like, I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I've got, like, a list of, like, my favorite podcasts, and so I just, like, went and re-listened to, like, my favorite episodes of This American Life, and then I would, like, meditate for a while, and then, like, listen to another episode of a podcast, just, like, sitting in the dark, because, like, you know, part of it was I knew I had so many people who were, like, missing work, and, like, driving out, and all this other stuff, and I knew they wouldn't mind as long as I tried. I knew they wouldn't mind if I didn't make it, but, like, I did wanna, I did wanna do something, uh, and then on top of that, yeah, just like the the Killian effect, just like I all my life I've like compared myself to Killian, just like you know looking at his training data and like looking at his race data, and it's just like I've always wondered, and I've just never raced anything he's done, and so that was also very intimidating. Uh, so I mean, I think from a in retrospect and like from a purely logical perspective, like I think I knew I. I had a good chance to run like a twelve thirty, but I mean, again, like like you said with the ultramath, like who knows what type of day Finley had or what what type of conditions he he faced out there, or what what else could be different. The other thing is his tranter time uh, was an eight fifty two, and that was his third time breaking the tranter record, and he's just breaking his own record. So like he had really worked his tranter dime down, whereas the Bob that was his his first attempt. So that also was kind of in my mind. Um, but I mean, yeah, so I had a huge advantage as far as planning because I had like Killian's data, I had Finley's data, I had Beth Pascal's data, the, who holds a female record. And then I also had George Foster's data, who has the third fastest time, uh, just slightly faster than Billy Bland, who's the guy who had the record for 36 years. He's a George's is a local foul runner. So I had all their data. So I I had a pretty good idea of what I was going to be running for the legs. And I had like a pretty decent plan, but when you have such like a huge crew and like live tracking and everything else, and so many like experienced people, like it is a lot more forgiving than going out and running something by yourself unsupported. Like you can, you can make a lot more mistakes because there's all these other people that are going to kind of like catch those errors and help you out. So uh yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I think there's definitely something to be said of just that confidence that you had just like knowing that there are a lot of variables that you can't control but um just having the confidence that like on a good day, like if I run to the potential that I know I have, like, it's like you can break the record. I mean, it's, I don't get the sense that you thought that you had to run out of your mind. It was like, you just need to run the splits that, you know, you can run. And if you do, then you will break the
1: record. Yeah. I'd, I'd say that's, I'd say that's true. The, the one thing I did do. So when I ran the tranter, I went and I ran all of kill, all of Finley splits uh individually or i would link some together and i i knew exactly what they would feel like but i found that it only like intimidated me because i felt like they were so fast that the pace was unsustainable so it actually scared me so for the bob i tried the opposite and i didn't run any of the splits prior and uh wasn't the best idea because you know i just got up on race morning and i mean it's the first time i've ever done an fkt Other than like, other than the ski stuff I did over the winter, it's the first time I'd ever done a running FKT where I hadn't time trialed at least the beginning or the end of the course. And so, yeah, it it was intimidating because I really didn't know what the pace was going to feel like. And like leg one is 13 miles and 5,500 feet of climbing and Killian split it in like 205, you know, somewhere in there. So, you know, a half marathon with 5,500 feet of climbing, like up and down, uh, and that's like you know by itself that is that is quite quick. Granted, the terrain is just super super fast back there, so it was it was intimidating. And there was like a moment where I slipped on one of the splits, just kind of by accident, and uh, I was like forty seconds down on one split right on the first leg. And we just like I just freaked out, and we just absolutely sprinted up the next peak. It didn't end up having I don't think it had an impact, but it probably. It, it may have had an impact, you know, I don't really know how that affected me, but it was like a 10 minute time trial at this peak, just because like, I, I freaked out because I was just intimidated by the Killian, the Killian splits. Um, so yeah,
0: so uh, the last off you did was Hellgate, like an actual race in 2019, you play second, and you already sort of alluded to earlier that um, it ruined racing for you, but uh, <laughs> what, what I hear you describe is essentially a race, but you're the only participant in it.
1: For the FKT?
0: Yeah, like, okay, yeah, and, yeah, and, I, and, yeah. I don't, and I'm not saying that is like a, like, it's, I don't think it, I'm not saying that to diminish or enhance whatever it, I'm, from what I'm saying, like what it sounds <laughs> like is like for the FKT. Like, yes, you recon the course and stuff, but arguably we do that for all for races. You had pacers with you the whole time, kind of like, like, uh, and you were basically just running your pacers into the ground and then recycling your pacer. So (laughs) I think it's fascinating, but it really just does sound like a race for one person.
1: No, it it literally, uh, it's funny. It's like, it, it basically in, in, from, I think from many perspectives, it is basically a race. Like, you know, there were a billion people out on the course, like not a billion people. There were quite a few people on the course, like cheering me on. There were quite a few people at the end cheering me on, you know, there were essentially aid stations that my crew had set up. I had pacers with me the entire time. So no, it was not a like solo spirit quest through the mountains. It was, <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was, I mean, there was like guys that came out and like, you know there were like photographers that came out of the course yeah <laughs> like it was as much as you could it was as close as you can get to a race and it being an FKT as possible essentially um Yeah. Yeah,
0: Well, I mean, since 2019, you haven't run any ultra races. You've done FKTs uh, and you started doing those around that time. Um, Just me doing a little bit of Google stalking, but this does sound like a race. So what don't you like? Why did Hellgate ruin racing for you? What happened? I'm very curious.
1: (laughs) No. So, so Hellgate didn't, I mean, let me just say, Hellgate didn't ruin racing for me, but that was, that was, I mean, I think, I think I dug myself a certainly a deeper hole physically here. Uh, and it was mentally just like so hard, but I, I don't know. Like that Hellgate was, was, I don't want to call it awful because I mean, the race was organized fine and everything was like as described, but it was, it was so unbelievably hard. Like it just, it was just freezing rain the entire time and the ground, the, like the road got covered in like a sheet of ice, like the dirt road sections. And so you couldn't run around. I like that when I went through, I couldn't run on the road. Like I had to run in the woods, in the leaves parallel, because like I mean you I would have like slipped and killed myself like running on the road. And I remember my clothes were just like stiff just because they were just glazed with ice. I mean it was just it was so unbelievably bad. Um no, I just it's 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 tough to say. I think a lot of a lot of the reasons I like doing this, I like the kind of the FKTs is uh because you are going for a I think like with a lot of, a lot of times with races, like they just, for me, I don't really have the lot of the level of competition at at a lot of races that I would like. And so I'm going to probably have my eyes on the course record. And if you show up and you just have a day with bad conditions, then it just kind of, it just kind of ruins it. And so that, that can be tricky. So I like, you know, going for, I like having something that's like, I feel like races are in my mind are like, so like fleeting. And I feel like an FKT is just something that's, like, more substantive and just, like, lasts for more time. Uh, And I feel like a race is, like, the race happens on that day, and then it's, like, basically over. Uh, That's, like, like it. And then I do like the idea of kind of, like, super aesthetic lines, which in the Northeast, a lot of times those are going to be unprotected land, so you can't even have a race on them. I like, like the steeper mountain stuff, which again, in the U S is a lot of times is protected. And then, you know, the Bob isn't, isn't a great example. I, I did love the Bob, but I do kind of like going on these routes and having it kind of just be, uh, you know, a relationship between, you know, going out there and it's just you and kind of the environment and just kind of, kind of testing yourself against, against the environment and, uh, having the clock as the arbiter and. Uh, that that's kind of it just kind of you and, and you out there and kind of like you know celebrating this like really fantastic natural place and it's not like got all like the bells and whistles and like distractions and uh other aspects that exist with a race i mean i suppose a lot of those aspects did exist with the bob um but no i mean i i'm so right now <clears throat> i uh i spent some time and i i wrecked some there's some pretty famous fell races here, which still have records that stand from the 80s and the 70s. And so, I've taken some time to go out and and scout those to see if, hey, maybe I want to come back next year. And I I don't know. I I don't really. I, I mean, these these routes can these races could take whatever line they want, but I I don't find the courses as aesthetic. I don't know why they they aren't as good as some of the rounds around here, but. Uh, the course just, you know, I, I don't, I don't really like them uh, in comparison, just kind of some of these really, really beautiful uh, FKTs. So.
0: Well, let's yeah, go into the Bob a little bit. So for the Bob grant, for the uninitiated, can you sort of give us the basics of what the Bob Graham round is and who Bob Graham is and then what you were trying to do out there?
1: Yeah. So uh, there was a, there still is a tradition of, Going out and basically just summiting as many peaks as you can in twenty four hours. And so in nineteen thirty two, this guy, uh, basically just a hiker, went out and he came up with this route that was a hundred kilometers and twenty, or a little bit more, like sixty six miles and twenty seven thousand feet of climbing is the way it's traditionally characterized. And it summits forty two peaks, and it starts and finishes in uh this town Keswick, uh, in the Northern Lake District. So Lake District is uh, in northwest England, just south of Scotland, and uh, we're pretty pretty close to the coast here. And so, yeah, Bob Graham, his his kind of like 24 peak record stood uh, until the 1960s. No one, no one seconded it. No one beat it either. And so it stood for so long that there was kind of a a split in some people continued kind of this competition of seeing how many peaks they could summit in 24 hours. And then other people just like tried to run Bob Graham's original line faster. And the Bob Graham like received a lot of attention fame because this local foul runner, Billy Bland, uh, who still lives here and is quite the character, uh, he went and in 1982, he ran Bob Graham's line in 13 hours and 53, 54 minutes. And that record stood from 1982 until 2018 when Killian broke it. And so Killian ran a 1252. And so, yeah, it got a lot of attention through that. Uh,
0: How did they track that back then?
1: Yeah, so the tradition of the Bob Graham uh, is you have to be accompanied on every single summit by, you know, somebody. And oh, that person...
0: okay. Now I see the pacing thing. Okay, I yeah, get it. You yeah. kind of have to have them.
1: You have to have them. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. okay. I like okay. I like this. This is like a video game. I'm getting there. Okay, keep
1: going. <laughs> yeah, so you have to have pacers that sign off on you visiting every single summit. So that was a big concern for me. Is like, yes, there's live tracking, yes, there's a GPX, but nobody has ever submitted a record for the Bob Graham round and not be observed on every summit. So I actually, some people were like, yeah, you know, times are changing. There's trackers, there's GPXs. Like, you know, you don't have to be observed on every summit, but other people were like, yeah, you, you really have to be seen on every summit. So uh, that was a, that was a concern for me is that like, I would just go out and just like drop, you know, all my pacers on a section and I would have nobody there on the summit. So yeah, you really have to make sure you have a robust team that can kind of stick with you. And we implemented some other tactics of like having people like leave aid stations early or like meet me out halfway through a leg, uh, which were were helpful because, you know, I, when I paced that guy last Saturday, it's it's hard to pace somebody because, you know, you're carrying all of your nutrition, you're carrying all of their nutrition and, and you just like, you aren't in the same headspace. So it's really, it's really just like not the same. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I know, I, I know some of my pacers like told me like, like, oh my God, like I couldn't sleep last night. <laughs> like, I was nervous for this. So like, you know, they, they certainly took it like very seriously. I mean, which was, you know, I was, I was so honored that they, that they did. Um, but, uh, yeah, because when you're like carrying nutrition and like trying to think for the runner and like trying to like make sure water is filled and everything, like, yeah, it's, it's way harder than you just going out and just like, you know, running that pace. So.
0: So, um, on the topic of running, we're going to like, um, something that you said piqued my interest and I kind of agree. Cause you know, I mean, I have, uh, opinions on this, but I want to hear yours. So, um, you mentioned in your single track episode that you think it's ridiculous when a lot of like the videos that we see on social media are like of these amazing athletes. They're amazing, but like running up these Hills and you're like, are you kidding me? They'd be walking. So how much did you walk in the Bob grant round and talk a little bit about that experience?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I am bigger, I, I'm taller. So I'm than most So like, I'm like six, one, six, two. And so like my stride is like pretty long and I, I have a history of kind of like weight training and stuff. So I think sometimes I can just like, I have the power just to like move a little bit faster while, while walking, honestly. Um, but yeah, like walking is absolutely essential. And like, sometimes it's, it's much faster on uphills, you know, hiking is much faster than uphills than, than actually running uh, a really, really, really important skill is like, especially in the whites, like in the Northeast in general, like over here, the climbs are a little bit more sustained and a little bit more consistent. So like you get on an uphill grade and you're going to like hold that grade until basically you get to the summit and then you turn around, and you run back down. But in the whites where it's like broken up by a lot of like short, like kickers, like up and flat and everything else, it's, it's really like one of the most important skills is being able to like, mentally, like constantly, like optimize your step. So you're constantly like moving and whatever is like the fastest modality for like that very, even incredibly tiny stretches of terrain. Um, But no, yes, different for everybody based on probably your, your training history and personal physiology, but uh, certainly hiking is sometimes faster. I mean, I remember when I was doing it, like one feature that I like utilize a lot on my watch is the vertical in feet climb per hour. And I think I'm trying to remember. I think a lot of times I look down and I was trying to hit between like 38 and 42. Uh, so 3,800 and 4,200 feet per hour um, on my watch when I was climbing, I think. And so I would use that to kind of control my pace. That was the only like pacing that I was doing was just like looking down. It was like, okay, because sometimes it's hard to just tell if you're going, if I'm going fast enough on a hill. Um so that's what I would, I would, I would use as reference a lot. I th- I think it was about that around around 4,000, I think. Um,
0: okay. Yeah. All right. Do you think that um, the terrain in the UK is more similar to terrain that we have in the Northeast or where would you compare it to versus like the West coast? Where do you think is comparable terrain?
1: Yeah, uh- definitely the, the Northeast, uh, I'm trying to think like the grass is definitely unique that they have here. I mean, I think maybe you could have something similar, similar in Colorado. I have literally run like once or twice in Colorado. So I'm not really sure. So the grass is unique. Uh, I would say a lot of the Bob is traditionally divided into five legs, like three is the most technical. And I would say a lot of like three reminds me a lot of the of the presidential ridge uh, in New Hampshire. It doesn't. It doesn't quite have like the big slab and like rock features that we have, like the Adirondacks and the whites, but certainly a lot of the smaller like talus hopping and stuff is like very similar. And then the grades are, are very similar. It's like very steep here, but I think there's a ton of similarities throughout the whole UK with, with running in the Northeast. Yeah.
0: So learning about this attempt and learning about you, um, it really changed the way that I think about FKTs. Um, I've never done one. I do prefer races still. Um, but I think they're really, they're a very interesting concept, but I have always thought of them as sort of like eschewing traditional ways of competing in the sport. Like I always thought the FKT was saying, I don't need a race to work hard and break barriers. And that the nonconformity of the FKT, especially with COVID is a little bit more mainstream these days. And I think the way that you went about the Bob Graham round um, seems very, like it adds a professional element to it. And do you think that maybe, um, do you think professionalism is all, is like a little bit counter Intuitive to the original intent of what an FKT is?
1: No, I I don't I don't think so. I mean, I think well, I think first like I think all of my FKTs have kind of been conducted like this. I mean, uh, like, well now learning I mean, about
0: your army and logistics and like that makes a lot of <laughs>
1: sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think the Bob is like not atypical, and it's like not atypical for like a lot of the top FKTs. Like I think I learned a lot from maybe i don't i don't know if i don't if i apply like like carl sabe if you look at what he did on like the the pct and on the at just like how incredibly like disciplined he was and how how i mean he like got those just by like logistically just like beating them to death and just optimizing just every single aspect of it and i think i learned a lot from that i was like wow this is this is kind of what it takes uh And yeah, I mean, I think the other thing I learned from it is, you know, Ryan Atkins is, is an incredible athlete. And I think one of the craziest things you can ever go is go and look at like the history of the great range traverse, like on the site. And you can see how many times Ryan has lost the record and then gotten it back. And Ryan currently has the record right now. And I think I saw that and I was like, damn, like, look how much time he has taken, taken off. Like he has taken off like an hour since like the first time he ran it like years ago, like first time he got the record years ago. And so I kind of looked at that and I was like, I'm going to try to go from, I'm going to try to make sure my first attempt is always like my best attempt because like, he's a super talented, super smart guy, but you see like how much time he's continuously as he's forced to like innovate and improve. He like continues to chop time. And so I I thought to myself, like, okay, like a lot of these optimizations are probably not intuitive, and I probably have to, like, really think about them. And uh, that just kind of, like, I've always tried to, like, make my one attempt. I always try to, like, run routes into the ground, do them once, and then never come back. (laughs) I think that being said, like, the Bob is such an awesome line, and I had so much fun doing it, and I think I did leave a tiny bit of time out there that I would come back. And I think also like just training over the next couple of years and just like, you know, improving my fitness, I think would, would make me come back. But yeah, just this idea of like trying to always maximize my potential and to like really make, you know, this is like, for a big part of this is for me is like, I coach, you know, for work, which is, which is all right. You know, I, I enjoy doing it, but it's not, it's not like enough for me to like, feel like, you know, accomplished. And so this is like the one other thing that I do really. And uh, I want to make sure that it's good um, because otherwise I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm like wasting my time personally, if I'm not getting the most out of myself. So,
0: so um, do you think that getting the most out of yourself is kind of like the main, well, I mean, it obviously is, seems to be the main motivation um, because like you do bring professionalism and you had to get pacers and, um, there's a lot of like like there's a lot of expense to do these things. Um, but it also seems that you might not be attracted to the traditional sponsorship model that we have right now to support athletes to do these things. Um, so why? Um, like, what are your feelings on that? I mean, if this is, if you are sort of taking this at taking FKTs and what you do as professionally as you do, um, how do you think that, or how would you feel comfortable being supported or not without, I guess, selling your soul to a brand?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's complicated for me. I mean, I was just trying to explain this to somebody and they were like, I like spent a while, I thought like, you know, explaining it well. And they're like, okay, so it's just a gut feeling for you. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) I was like, I mean, I think a lot of times like I have gut feelings and then I try to like work back and like justify why I feel that way. Um, I think when it comes down to it, I think most important is just, I really, really value like being a genuine, honest person. And I think I look at a lot of people who are sponsored and I just don't see them as genuine as being genuine uh and i think that maybe there are ways where i could be sponsored and i you know stick I, i stick to being me uh but i'm just so turned off of the whole thing by like the way a lot of sponsored athletes conduct themselves and i think every that's everything from i think a lot of uh sponsored athletes in the sport are like you know, extremely, you know, kind of like white bread on social media. Like everyone is, is basically the same. Everyone kind of like says the same things. Uh, and then it's like, you know, people, I would hate to get sponsored by a company and use their equipment on an effort. And that be used to sell equipment when I know that that wasn't the best tool for that job. Like straight up, like I feel bad for Killian being sponsored by Solomon and running the Bob. Like, huh, I would not want to do that because like straight up like i love solomon shoes for some applications but they do not have the lug height to like run on the fells um i would i would not be good and it's the same way like i love if i were to do something like utmb i would wear probably a hoka but i would i wore hokas one time while running the tranter because my uh innovates that i normally wear wear worn smooth i wore hokas and i, I legitimately almost killed myself running down this like steep grassy slope just because the lugs don't have any height and um so that's that's another thing and then I think uh I've got some residual trauma from uh being in the military and I think also it just like was the way that I was kind of brought up and I just like really 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 hate being told what to do and uh so I think that also kind of goes into like why I don't like uh races because I see FKTs I see running as kind of like a creative outlet for me and uh you know, I I don't want to be like limited in, in any capacity. Uh and so I like to be able to, you know, do, do what I want and kind of like say what I think. And uh maybe there are ways I could do that while being sponsored. I also don't really like kind of like, you know, how consumerist kind of the outdoors and uh racing has gotten. And so for all these reasons, I think there are ways that you could be I I and everybody can like do what they want. Like, you know, I don't care, but like, I think there's ways that I could be sponsored and have it be totally fine, like in my book and by all these, like, you know, things I just listed, but I've just kind of become so soured with the like entire environment and space. And, you know, the whole thing that I'm like, okay, for now, I'm just not accepting any money or any free gear uh, because I just don't want to be associated with it. So, and make a statement a little bit by doing that.
0: Yeah. I, I really respect that. I mean, um, I work in the running industry, like I work and run specialty and I mean, I see shoes all the time and gear that come in and I'm like, dang, this is awesome. Like, and I'm just a nerd. I like, I think things are, I really respect all the different brands and what they're doing right now. Um, and I've talked to, you know, other people that work and run specialty too. And, um, it can be like, it definitely is a conflict of interest. If you see something like from one brand that you think, Oh, those shorts would work perfect for this, but you know, you want to use a different pack or a different this. And if they make all those things and especially companies now are trying to be like more all-inclusive, make gear, make shoes. And sometimes like me as a consumer or me as somebody just be like, no, please don't make those because I like this other brand. And um, (laughs) yeah, it's so, it's really convoluted. And I also agree with you with like, being a sponsored athlete, isn't just running fast. It's like, there is like a media component to it. And, um, which is good and bad. Um, yeah, because I have to like, I mean, I have to acknowledge that I've benefited from the system, but also I've been passed up for the system. Um, so I kind of really respect like what you're doing. I'm not saying that's works for everybody, but for right now, I mean, you're living kind of the values that you see.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think just to follow that up with two things, there's like, number one, my stance, you know, I think obviously to many people comes from like a place of privilege where I don't, I'm, I, I have, I have opportunities through uphill athlete to, you know, coach and make money fairly easily. And then also like, I don't need the money. Like I don't take money. You know, my parents don't like give me a handout or something, but if I were to like, Totally, you know, blow my life up and you know, crash my camper and like, you know, I don't know, somehow blow all my life savings. Yes, yes. Like hypothetically, my parents would be there as a as a safety net. So uh, that's certainly part of it. And then the other part that I really don't like, uh, which I think is pretty easy to fix, is just people who don't acknowledge that they are sponsored or they got equipment at a discount or they're like paid to like post something on social media, and that just uh, really bothers me. I mean. Uh I wrote, I don't think Uphill published it, um, but I wrote an article on like my like ski FKTs how they did over the winter. And I was like very clear to say like what gear I used, you know, how I purchased it, if I used a pro deal, uh, because I think it's just important to acknowledge that. And I think that's a that's a big problem that athletes don't say, you know, who they're sponsored by or like what they get for free, or, you know, all that all that other stuff. So
0: do you think that, um, on the converse that athletes who aren't affiliated with any brand or anything, do you think that them like, you know, tagging brands or things like that on social media, maybe to try to get some sort of a deal. Um, do you think that's good for the sport or do you think that's kind of gross?
1: I I mean, if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to get sponsored, that's probably, I, I don't know exactly how it's done. I don't, I don't think that would probably be an effective strategy but I mean go ahead and go ahead and do it I mean I talked about on single track like I did that like I posted you know photos of me like backcountry skiing on my Instagram story and like you know tagged like Black Diamond cuz I was like using Black Diamond gear and there was like what bothered me was like there was no purpose behind me doing that like I just I just did it kind of reflexively just kind of like imitating what I saw other people doing in the outdoor industry mm-hmm. and I mean, I just looked back on it and for me, it was kind of gross because I mean, I, I, I don't know why I found that it was necessary. You know, I was just having like this outdoor experience, but I had to like, you know, participate in this, like, you know, some sort of like performative consumerism on social media. I'm not even really sure what it was. Um, so yeah, in, in my personal context there, yeah, I thought it was kind of gross that I did that.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that like, uh, in my, like, I think social media just like like the evolution is just so like, like 10 years ago, I couldn't like, what was I thinking? Like, I mean, I remember like, uh, I had this thing for a while where like my favorite food is peanut butter. Right. And so this is kind of funny. I think now I'm like, Ellie, you're just uh, stupid, but so I would like contact like peanut butter companies, like small local batches. And I'd be like, if you send me one, I will like review it for you on my like Instagram or whatever. It was like, and they would, I mean, it's almost like I got free peanut butter out of it, but now I'm like, Ellie, that was kind of like that's like, why did you do that? You just wanted free peanut butter. Like, I don't do So it's so interesting. Like it, it wasn't even like, I wasn't going to like tag the brand in my bio or anything, or like, I didn't get anything out of it besides like a free jar of peanut butter, just like the silly things that we used to do with this new medium of social media. It's just, it's kind of funny.
1: Yeah. I mean, Hey, you can't, you can't argue with free peanut butter. I would say Maybe if I would do that for free almond butter, I'm not a huge peanut butter guy, but almond butter is pretty, it's pretty hard to bait. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a fan of all the nuts or legumes, whatever you want, just smash it mm-hmm. up. It's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, how do you think, like, we encourage the sport to grow, um, and, it, and in order to grow, I think it acknowledged that it does need to become a little bit more commercial because that's how we get money into it. And then that's how we get like, that's how things grow. Unfortunately, that's capitalism, unless we can figure out, unless you have a different model in mind, but how do we continue the sport to grow while still sticking to like the roots of like adventure, being outside and just like getting the most out of out of ourselves for its own sake?
1: No, that's, uh, that is something i was I was wondering about, like I, I really, I really don't know, because i was I was thinking a lot about that because, like the traditional, I think the classic argument is like the objective reason why we need more money in the sport is because more money will get more like live coverage and more media penetration at races, and then that uh, you know, engages a wider audience gets more people interested in trail running. Uh, I'm trying to think of like what other objective ways, more money, like maybe you have a brand that like puts on a running camp or something or like some sort of community day of some sort but I, I don't know. That well could...
0: I mean it also it encourages like also underrepresented groups to get in more involved um, when there's more money there's more space for more people which is like good I think that like women, peoples of color like underrepresented groups it's important for there to be more equal representation so there's a lot of good things that money can do Um, but you know uh, also like I wish there was this like poly a thing where we all just went and ran in the mountains for our own sake, but you know that's not that's not everybody's jam. I mean, I know a lot of really good runners who, like, if they didn't have a race to do or to like compete against other people, they wouldn't run.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, the one, the one place that I kind of look to is like the UK. Just has a much deeper scene than in the US. Like, I don't know what it is, but like, you go and run. Uh, I remember the first day I got here, I went and ran near Edinburgh. In the, in the kind of like some fells, some hills south of Edinburgh. And I was just amazed. Like I saw more uh, like trail runners in that single run than I, I almost had ever seen running in the whites. I mean, never in the US, like even running in Boulder. Like had I ever seen so many runners on a single run, so many trail runners out there. And I, I don't know why that is here. It just is, it's just a, I think it's honestly just comes down to the fact that the hills are very, obvious you know to walk up you know there's no trees it's easy to walk up them it's easy to run down them and it's just kind of like become a part of the culture and i don't know like i mean i just try to think like very locally like in the community that i kind of know best which is in the whites like okay how can we get more people involved and i i mean I, i i don't i don't really know beyond like you know there are events like uh friday night vert and other you know kind of like community you know race non-race just kind of like running events that happen weekly that are probably good races i i guess you know i'm trying i was actually trying to think like would it make sense to me to go down to boston and try to do some sort of like uh underrepresented minority like you know running clinic or something like on uh you know i'm trying to remember the the trail the skyline trail or whatever the blue ridge whatever it's called it goes right through boston i was trying to think of anything like that would make sense um i really you know i i i I struggle because i i don't really know but it is interesting to come over here and just see a scene that has kind of done it right for whatever reason and just has like such a deeper uh running culture and I don't know. I'd be interested to see like the, the percent of people that like engage with hiking versus the U S like, did the U S just have less people that engage with the outdoors in general, or is it just, uh, here, like it's the same number of people like outside, but it's just more, a higher percentage of them are running. I I don't know if that's, if that's the way it kind of shakes out, but.
0: Yeah. And then, I mean, just thinking like, let's say we do like encourage growth in the sport. I mean like that kind of during the pandemic, it was like, all we could really do was go outside. And then like the trails were packed and we were pissed. And then like, look at all those, like the line of people going up Everest now. So it's like more media attention might not always be the best <laughs> thing. Um, yeah, and then in running in general, it's just it's professional running and running in general, is just so much different than like professional basketball because like, the fans of professional basketball, most of them aren't playing basketball. They're just fans. Whereas a lot of the fans of running, we're all running and then people that aren't fans of running are running. So, it's just it's a very just a different different professionalism that I just, you know, I think that we haven't completely nailed how to do it yet.
1: Yeah, and I think I think there are ways that you can kind of I'm trying to envision ways that you can push and promote the sport with less money in it and uh kind of like promoting it as way you know in a, in a culture that's like in a culture in a society that's like increasingly you know permanently online having ways that you can kind of like escape and like meditate and like pursue like a deeper you know relationship with nature and i feel like that aspect kind of like reconnecting with the land and with nature is like super, super important to me. And it's something that's like, you know, increasingly kind of like forgotten and not talked about in trail running media. Like, I mean, I love Finn's podcast. I love single track, but like, you know, that is a trail running podcast. That's a huge trail running podcast. Dylan Bowman's, you know, free trail podcast. That's a huge trail running podcast. Both of those podcasts are like mainly podcasts about like money and sponsorship and less like running is, you know, I think like the talking about pure running and like the experience of running is like, is like a smaller part of it, honestly, uh, which is, it's not something that I, I love. Um, but well, what podcasts
0: yeah. do you love? Like what media let's like, we're going to close this out pretty soon, but what things do you like to read and consume? What, what lights, what just lights you up about, you know, either treadmill running or running outside or whatever connects you to just a better version of you
1: uh that's tricky i mean in the in the in the you know i go through i go through kind of like back and forth whether i enjoy listening to to running media uh and it probably has to do with like how much how overtrained i am like in that exact moment um but i do listen to some uh trail running stuff i mean but outside of that like my favorite podcast is like this american life and there's like 800 episodes of this American life and each is an hour long. And I've almost listened to all of them, which I'm, I'm pretty, pretty hyped about, but <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's a big favorite of mine. Um,
0: Have you listened to metaphysical milkshake? No, <laughs> it's so good. Okay. So really? I okay, here. cool. It's kind of like, like, um, it's called, it's, it, I guess the premise is like, like asking life's biggest questions and it's with rain Wilson, the guy that played Dwight Schrute on the office <laughs>
1: okay. yeah, and then yeah, yeah.
0: Reza Aslan, <laughs> but like, they're actually like really great humans. Like, it's not like a comedy oh, really? podcast. They're just, it's yeah. so good. Just try one. It's great.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll check it out. Yeah. I mean, uh, 99% invisible is another one I, mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoy, um, I mean, I feel like a dope because there's like a million podcasts I listen to and I've just got like you know, two off the top of my head.
0: Hey, Uh, I mean, that's all you need. There's 800 episodes. And then like when you get done, you could just start again.
1: Oh yeah, no, it's great. Like, because my brain is just kind of like mush from running so much. I can just listen to the same episodes just like over and over again. (laughs) And Uh, you get something
0: different out of each one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I would say anybody who's, I'm just like scrolling through my recently played, anybody who's like interested in learning more about the UK running scene, uh finley has a podcast called go mountain goats which oh. doesn't have a ton of episodes but um is it is really good and uh i mean i love finley he's great uh so i would i would recommend people people listen to that one but uh, have
0: you ever listened to davy crockett's like running history podcast
1: no, I'm I'm writing these down, but no, I, I haven't. I have yeah. Plan.
0: It's, it's kind of like, I like reading them because he also I'm a reader more than anything else. And so I, uh, he also writes about these, like, just a, like the history of the sport. Like everybody thinks it began with Western States, but it actually began like hundreds of years ago. And so he just picks a different person or a race or a topic or something from like a way back and just writes about it. And it's, it's really interesting. If you are kind of into like the history kind of thing, um, but also with like running and how like they used to do things and uh yeah it's it's really interesting
1: that's awesome y'all yeah, check it out yeah i mean one reason i was like really attracted to like racing shasta was i think that might be the oldest uh fkt in the u.s not like not like oldest record in the u.s but like oldest record oldest like the longest history of racing a single route is like the Shasta ascent record, I think. Cause like John Muir, I think has like the first time in like 1885 or something. Um, Which is, which is pretty cool. So. uh,
0: Well, you're on your way back stateside, right? So what's next for you?
1: Um, yeah. So I mean, short term is just selling the van and then getting out of here, which is, which is going to be absolute torture. Uh, but after that, I mean, I told myself kind of, I, I don't know what, like I told myself that the Bob was going to be the last thing I raced this year. And I wasn't really sure if it was true to be completely <laughs> honest, but once I finished the Bob, like the wheels just like really kind of came off. Like I was just, I'm just like kind of done. Um, I think if I did, you know, I was originally intending to race the Bob at the end of September, uh, but now I've raced a little bit sooner. I have a little bit more time. I don't know. I was, if if I were to do anything, it would probably raise something I'd done before. I don't think I could handle doing the Great Range Traverse again right now. I think that would just be too much pressure. But I was almost thinking about like, oh, I'll just like do the Prezi again or like rerun the Hut Traverse, like you know, because I I did leave a lot of time on both of those. I think so. Um, maybe that. There's also in Western Virginia, like my, per, this'll, this'll probably be the thing I'll do. So in Western Virginia, uh, when I used to train out there a lot, there's like one of the longest single sustained climbs in the entire Appalachian trail is the priest. And it's like 3000 feet in four miles and a little bit less than four miles, I think. And, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like pretty well sustained. There's like a little bit in the middle. That's, maybe like a half or a quarter mile. That's pretty flat. But other than that, it's like a pretty good climb. And I've had this dream for a while now to run it in under an hour round trip. And so like my best descent time is like 44 something. And my best descent time is like 20 high 23s, I think. So that's like an hour eight uh, round trip if I were to link those two, but that was like back in 2020, beginning of 2020. So I think, uh it might it might be i think it's like honestly like right on the edge of like what is possible <laughs> uh to do it in under an hour i i don't think i probably have it it probably takes like a 38 minute uphill and a 22 minute downhill and it's like four miles of like windy steep rocky appalachian trail single track that you gonna have to like run sub six on um so uh, yeah it's, it would be really gnarly but uh I might, yeah, I might try that. You just describing kind of that fun. like
0: wears me out. I was hoping you were going to be like, I'm done for the year. Like I'm resting.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think my training um, probably won't be organized at all. Like with, with like this priest project in mind, like maybe I'll do a little bit of speed work, but I'm really tempted just to like last year, what I did was once I did the white zone 100 on October 6th, like. I didn't do any speed work of any kind like between like the beginning of October and, uh, end of December. And even when I started it back up, it was like very like non-traditional speed work. Like I was just like hiking on the stairmaster with like a 50 pound pack. Like it was hard, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, you know, I think mentally it's more important to mix it up. So I didn't really associate it with running. And then it was like all skiing for the winter. Like I ran, I ran very little. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think that break is, is super important. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to feel it out. Like, I think if I stayed here in the UK and was like lived in the Lake district, yes, I would have to take some like major time away from running. But I think if I go back to the U S and I, I mix it up a little bit and I go to like some different trails, I think, I think I'll feel good about, I'll be excited about running again, but I am, I am not stoked on running here. Um, yeah. need a break. So, I need a break. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Jack, to end these shows, I like to play a little game called Ideal Aid Station. But cause you don't like races, so there are no aid stations. Uh you're just gonna have to do your best with these questions. It's okay to fail the test. It's all right. Oof.
1: Okay, I'm ready. All
0: right. So uh you're coming to your ideal aid station. And so an aid station is in the middle of a race, it's great. They have oh. these like <laughs> And you just sort of walk <laughs> up and they ask you what you want and they make it for you. It's so fun. Okay. So imagine oh my this God. place. This sounds lovely. I know. Imagine <laughs> this place. <laughs> um, so what sweet snack is waiting at that aid station for you? Uh,
1: Morton gel.
0: <laughs> what flavor? Do they come in flavors?
1: No, it's unflavored. No. Yeah. Nothing.
0: Oh, interesting. All right. Well,
1: bougie. Yeah. Uh, what yeah.
0: salty snack?
1: Ooh. Um, uh crushed doritos
0: oh yeah that sounds good um what hot food
1: oh god hot food um like something like... you would eat
0: when you're freezing in hellgate
1: oh yeah i think i think during hellgate uh they actually had had broth at the aid stations which was like pretty incredible um so yeah maybe maybe some broth i think yeah broth broth would be nice all right
0: sports drink
1: um, uh, Morton.
0: <laughs> so, okay. Pause. Eight stations are like dollar store. So <laughs> Morton's a little pricey for these
1: eight stations.
0: Just let you know, you might be depressed, okay. but it's okay.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll go with, um, uh, Tailwind, but I also, like, I used to, I used to do like Flat Coke a lot, but I remember... Like a lot of times at the aid stations, like the soda wouldn't be flat. <laughs> so you'd like pour it into a bottle and then the bottle would like explode. I remember oh, that yeah. happening that's quite always a few fun times. Time. To me. Yeah. So I'd probably go, I'll probably go flat Coke. All um, right. So
0: that's the next question. So the next one is non sports drinks. So flat Coke.
1: Oh, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So I'll go tailwind flat Coke. Yeah. Okay. Very okay. tailwind. Yeah. Flat Coke.
0: Um, piece of gear that you would want maybe waiting for you at the aid station
1: um hmm yeah i don't i don't know let me let me think i like I those mean,
0: innovate 80 dollars shorts that you love
1: yeah yeah you those. can't do
0: anything without
1: exactly yeah i'd be lost lost it those the only yeah i think maybe maybe like a. I i used to like make fun of people who did shoe changes but um yeah sometimes shoe changes are pretty important so that would maybe that would be maybe an item i don't know um also like poles, I tried using poles a little bit on the Bob and uh, I kind of, I kind of hated them. I'm kind of anti-pole now. I don't know if that'll, that'll change, but I was also like told I wasn't allowed to use poles on the Bob by like the local runners. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, uses poles. I don't have any, I don't have any gear options, but maybe, yeah, maybe a shoe change. Yeah.
0: All right. Now this one is going to be interesting. So uh celebrity to meet you at the aid station. So they don't have to be a runner. They don't have to be alive. Just somebody <laughs> that like if you saw them at the aid station, you'd be like, dang. And it'll just give you a pep.
1: I love how you say they don't need to be alive. Like they could be, it's just like a body, like a, cada- a cadaver just waiting for you at the aid station. Obviously that's not what you meant. Um, I mean, I think uh, if I had to do anybody, I think I'd probably do uh, Billy Bland, or maybe, maybe oh, Finley. Okay. I, fin, maybe Finley. Yeah. 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 Oh, those, it's yeah. Celebrity. Finley. Yeah. Major celebrity. Celebrity. Now heart, I'm like going
0: to listen to this podcast. So it's going to be great.
1: Yeah. Actually, I hopefully mean, yeah, he has an yeah. accent. Oh, he's kind of amazing. Oh, <laughs> good. Amazing good. Accent. Yeah. 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 He's an angel.
0: Well, Jack, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was awesome. Um, uh, but <laughs> where can people find you and say hello online uh, with your beautiful cat photo?
1: Oh yeah, beautiful cat. Um, Yeah, just just my name, Jack Kenzel, on uh, Instagram and Strava are like the only two like social medias I really use. So,
0: all right, we'll put those in the show notes. Jack, thank you so much for coming on the show. Have a wonderful, I hope you sell your van to some people that are going to really use it and then we'll see you stateside.
1: Awesome. Yeah, thank you, Allie. That was awesome.
0: Jack, uh, at all the links in the show notes and feel free to reach out. He's got the cutest cat photo of himself or like maybe not of himself, but of something and, uh, definitely adorable. And then you can follow me at Gazelli on Instagram and Twitter, and you can follow the Trails collective on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you to everybody who has supported us. Thanks especially to our Patreon members who make a small contribution that really, really makes a big difference to us. And uh, have some fun running in the fall, guys, and I'll see you out there.